friends, welcome to Finding Meaning. It's Annette and Mark, and we are thrilled to be back with our podcast. It's been some time. It has been a long time, and uh, one of the reasons why we've uh, taken a little bit of a break is because we really tried and wanted to define, better define, what our mission really was. It's been a year of adjustments, of figuring out life again. You know, that's what life's all about. It's about... um, evolving. It's about moving with the punches. And you know, sometimes life moves pretty fast. It does. And and here we are, we stood back a little bit to find the meaning in our life and find the meaning in the experiences that we were having. And we feel like we've got a better grasp of who we are in the sense of what we want to represent in this podcast. You know, we've put together a number of uh, podcast uh, episodes in the past where we've been able to share thoughts and feelings about uh, not only those that uh, have been guests, but also our own thoughts and feelings. And we recognize that to a large degree, we were kind of all over the place. And we wanted to define our objective just a little bit better. By doing so, we've had a chance to sit down, talk about uh, our message, talk about our stories. And, you know, we've found that uh, a lot of what we're going to be talking about is a lot of the same kind of messaging that we had before, but focused a little bit more on hope, a little bit more on maybe some of the tools that we can gain as we're trying to live our best lives. So, Mark, would you say that Finding Meaning is a podcast that takes you on a journey of self-discovery? I'd say that's a great way to explain it. I really believe that uh, sometimes when we are trying to be our best selves, we might not have all of the tools necessary in order to make it happen. And really, as we sat down and talked about what we could offer, it really came down to tools, didn't it? It really did. You know, as we share with you our experiences and the experiences of our guests, we help as we peel back the layers of those experiences, whether it's the grieving of the loss of a child or or battling through, you know, chronic medical challenges. We promise you, our listeners, that this isn't wasted time. This will be time that we hope and pray that you'll receive some valuable insights that you can find the meaning in your own life's experiences. And the meaning doesn't come just from trying to understand what loss is all about. You know, loss can find itself in a lot of different ways. One of the, one of the losses that uh, many people deal with are not just the losses of people, but losses of things, losses of uh, priorities, losses of understanding losses of direction that uh, they might have. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost perspective in your life. And finding meaning is going to help you to find those commonalities that you maybe once had, but uh, feel like you just don't uh, have it anymore. Right. We really hope that through this podcast of finding meaning, that it will prompt you to question, discover, and refine your life's purpose. You know, we've found that uh, there are some real characteristics, and we often use the term emotional resilience. Uh, Annette and I have an opportunity to share emotional resilience tools to members of our community, and uh, we're we're excited every time we have a new class as we see new growth. 
And uh, through the 10 lessons that we give in this emotional resilience uh, course, it's just amazing. In fact, I would almost say transformative when we see some people who are completely different after those 10 weeks. And that's really our hope here as well, is that we can help you to identify some of those same tools, maybe more of an internal focus on control of your life, maybe recognizing that uh, that uh, having personal goals and understanding how your goals can be met are an important part of your life. Let's jump in and talk about healing and the art of healing. Have you ever thought of healing as an art? I don't think many people do until they actually have to go through it. It really is an interesting way to, to um, focus those thoughts on and how healing is an art. You know, what's interesting is we have conversations with many people, whether we're teaching them or just friends in casual conversation. One of the things that we often find is that they'll say, oh, I thought I was pretty resilient until. <laughs> until X, Y, Z happens. And also I spoke with a friend today that somebody had mentioned, you know, when, when your trials are over and I turned to another friend, and I said, are they ever over? And it's just kind of a roller coaster as we learn from experiences and phases of our lives. But let's go into this thought of learning the healer's art. Now, there's a, one of my favorite um, talks that I've heard was given by a woman by the name of Elaine S. Marshall. And she gave this talk in 2002. So 22 years ago. Wow, that seems, 2002 doesn't seem that long ago, but when you put it in perspective. 22 years ago. Time goes on. It does go on, it flies. And Elaine Marshall was the um, dean of the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. I'm going to quote her here. She said, on my first day as a nurse, I assumed cure, care, and healing to be synonymous. I have learned they are not the same. Healing is not cure. Cure is clean, quick, and done, often under anesthesia. Healing, however, is often a lifelong process of recovery and growth in spite of, maybe because of, enduring physical, emotional, or spiritual assault. It requires time. It requires all the energy of your entire being. You have to be there, fully awake, aware, and participating when it happens. That's a great quote. When I when I think of that quote, Annette, I, I thought of another uh, quote, and I can't remember where I heard it many years ago. Someone that said that uh, you can be healed without being cured, and you can be cured without being healed. Now, that's a little bit deep. You know, it's... it's Listen to that again. You can be cured without being healed and healed without being cured. I think that uh, as we look at the idea of being healed and cured, we think very often that it's a quick step to getting back to where we need to be. And what we've found is that uh, it's a journey. It is a journey that you need to be fully awake, aware, and participating. When Reed died, Reed is our son who passed away. It's been... Oh, how many years? 13. 13 years. And it seems like yesterday sometimes. But there were times that I just, I was numb. 
And I just wanted everything to get better. I wanted to be healed. I didn't like how I felt broken. I didn't like how this knew me because it wasn't familiar. But what I have come to learn, just as Elaine said in her in her discussion here in her talk, was that it was the process of healing, which is really change and how it takes time and energy and struggle, but how it's the healing that teaches us. We thought our journey might be like a quick trip to the grocery store. And I'll tell you, it was anything but that. What we have learned, though, is that a journey is often long and often difficult, and it's a process of personal change and development. And those last 13 years have been all of those and and much, much more. They really have. You know, one of the things that I keep thinking when I reflect back upon this time is the journey and how different the journey was than what I anticipated. Last year, Mark and I spoke at a conference it was on life after loss, the symposium. And someone used their word anticipatory grief, that definition, anticipatory grief. And I thought, that's what I went through for all those years. And I never had a word for it. But as much as I anticipated the death of our son, And that grieving process, it wasn't what I expected. You know, it was interesting as we were gauging our stories and our thoughts against others that uh, were there who had had incredible loss within the last 12 months and seeing where they were at on their journey versus where we were at on our journey. And And I'll be the first to admit that we're not finished with our journey. This is a lifelong challenge, probably as large as Mount Everest. In, in a lot of different ways. And as we try and as we strive to to get to where we feel like we're in a good place, sometimes we, we fall down and have to get back up again. And I think that that's what we find very common in this journey is that it's not just a straight linear line. No, it's not. You know, I think we, we maybe got ahead of ourselves here a little bit. Let's share a little bit about Reed and his and his journey. Reed is the third of our four children, and he was an incredible young man. And he always had a special gift about him where people were drawn to him. He was someone that that was a friend to all. When he was eight years old, his teacher noticed that his hands were tremoring, and and she gave us a phone call and and I spoke with her and she told us that she thought we should take him to the doctors to get checked because of this tremor. Just a few months prior to that, our nephew passed away from a brain tumor. Pretty close to home. It hit really close to home. And, and immediately my thoughts turn to to our nephew Greg and what he experienced and then to our son Reed and 
something inside me told me that this was a journey that we were now embarking on. And so for many years, we tried to manage the pain of Reed's tumor. It was something he was born with. It grew and bled as he grew and grew. And and so it was in a location that didn't allow for surgery until advancement in technology in what eight years later that he right. he did have surgery. Um, the type of tumor he had didn't respond to chemo or radiation. And it was just something that we had to wait and manage as best we could the emotions, the big emotions, the pain and the suffering. It was a really tough time because not only were we trying to, as parents, help read, but we also had other children as well. And trying to manage our time and uh, the constant attention that our children needed, along with helping Reed with his uh, with with his difficulties, were sometimes really daunting. And we wondered, wow, when are we going to get the relief that we're looking for here? Those feelings, those emotions, and the pain and the suffering was huge. And the feelings of being lost to me, I think, is what sticks out. I, I just felt lost. That's a great way to put it because. I think we all did. And, and you know, we, we had to be careful at the time. We didn't want our emotions to look like we were suffering like Reed was suffering because he was going through a, an incredible journey himself with his health. I mean, he would get so tired and he would get so sick and the hurt inside of his head would be so bad that sometimes he would pass out because of the pain. And as a parent, you can imagine how you would feel if that was going on with your child. And that was a really tough time in our life. Well, the doctors explained that to us in a way that we could understand when he would go unconscious was it was like a computer rebooting and his body would just shut down because of the pain. And it it was it was tough. As a parent, all we want to do is to take our pain the pain away from our children and we couldn't. There was nothing we could do. So this was in third grade when he was diagnosed, second grade when he was diagnosed with his uh, brain uh, malformation. And it wasn't until he was 16 that uh, we were able to hopefully get the relief that we were looking for with uh, one of the greatest doctors that we could find that uh, would be willing to uh, to go forward and proceed with that surgery. And what a blessing that he was local, one of the, the premier doctors in the world. In this type of healthcare and surgery as a neurosurgeon was here in Salt Lake City. And ironically, was the same doctor that uh, helped uh, our nephew. And there was, it was a surgery that was very difficult. And I remember the doctor telling us that it would have to be almost perfect for him to be able to enjoy the life that uh, he really wanted. And it wasn't. But we look at, um, as the years, we got five bonus years with our son from the, the point of the surgery to when he finished his race here on earth and and went back to a loving Heavenly Father and, and Jesus and his Savior to, to live 
the fact that you brought up the word race is not a coincidence. It was more than just a journey for Reed. It was more than just a race for him. But when he was told that he couldn't play football or contact sports anymore, he wanted to do something that would still allow him to get the exercise that uh, that he loved being outside. And so he took up running. And uh, he ran a marathon. He ran with his high school cross-country team. And uh, on one such, can I just give the Cliff Notes version of this Please. experience? Uh, on, on one uh, race that uh, he was on in California at Mount San Antonio College, uh, he, he it, boy, it was, how long was it after his surgery? It was only it was a year. It was only about a year after his surgery, but uh, he still had a visible scar. He liked to keep his uh, hair short so people could see his scar. And that's another story for another day, probably. The scars never went away. <laughs> no, they, they they didn't. But he was pretty proud of those scars. And we'll, talking, we'll talk as well about uh, the pride that we should have with some of our scars that we have. But in that race... Uh, I, I watched, I was there in California watching him and I wanted to be there in case something uh, went wrong. He ran to the top of a hill, he ran behind the hill and all the other runners uh, came out except for Reed. And the next thing I know, I see Reed probably about uh, six, seven minutes later running down the hill. And as I looked at him, he was all dirty. He had, it looked like he had fallen. His face was all dirty with uh, with mud and uh, his his uh, clothing was was dirty as well. And I said, "Reed, you okay?" And he just nodded at me and kept on going. And uh, while he didn't finish where he wanted to fish in finish in that race, he finished nonetheless. And uh, I asked him afterwards. I said, "Do you wish you wouldn't have come now?" He said, "No, Dad." He said, "I don't run just for my health. I run to finish the race, and we want to help you to learn how to finish the race as well." especially with some of the tools that we'll be talking about. You know, can I just say, Annette, that when we were doing our podcast before, we we often referred to the term finding me. And finding me was a way of trying to find those inherent skills and and thoughts and ideas that would help us so that we'd be able to, to, to finish our race. But we also learned along the way that uh, – there are incredible stories by people like you, like us, like everyone. And our objective is to help you to find meaning. The, the hope is, is that you'll find meaning from the stories and the experiences of your life. So let's talk a little bit about tools and resources and how we have gone from really feeling lost and broken to living the life that's beautiful and and full of hope and and promises and looking forward to the future not always looking back to the pain and the sorrow you know there's a great quote by um, a man dallin h oaks he says adversities are temporary what is permanent is what we become by the way we react to them. Mm. You know, that is something that you and I have both really held on to. And, and we've thought, you know, those times of, of really being lost and broken and struggled in that darkness that I felt that, you know, 
I don't want this to be how I am the rest of my life. So what can I do to react differently than I am now so that I can have that hope and peace that I'm seeking? That's a great quote, by the way, by Dallin H. Oaks. And as you were sharing that, I thought of a uh, of a quote by Viktor Frankl. I think most of you know who Victor, Victor Frankl was. He was a man that was uh, in the uh, concentration camps uh, during World War II, and uh, he he made a he made an incredible uh, statement that I think we can all relate to to agree, or at least we should be able to relate to. He said that when you are no longer able to change your circumstances, you are challenged to learn to change yourself. And the skills and the tools that we're talking about are all part of finding that emotional resilience. And emotional resilience is going to mean something totally different for all of you. It might mean having stronger relationships with others, including your family, that you might not have. It might, like Viktor Franco, being able to learn how to adapt to change. Maybe it's having faith in yourself, recognizing that there will be times when you make mistakes and wrong choices are sometimes easily made. But being able to get beyond that and move forward. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, using humor, uh, patience, learning tolerance, and, and uh, finding optimism in your life as well. So, Mark, how did you change your attitude so those adversities didn't permanently debilitate you? Oh, that's that's a good question, and I and I think that it's it's a much longer answer than we can give here. But let me let me just give you the quick answer to that. It's it's something that maybe we all struggle with. I came from a generation. I'm 62 years old, and, and it always reminds me that I'm much older than she is. But in in my generation, growing up, whenever you had adversity or struggles in your life, what would you do? You'd sweep them under the rug. And they don't exist. And especially you don't want to share those, especially your inabilities, your inadequacies, or in anything else around other people that might make you look weak. So you never wanted to be vulnerable. Well, you know where I'm going with this answer. Yeah. And and the answer is exactly that, is that I grew up in that era when vulnerability was looked at as a weakness. And what I've since learned during the last 13, and, and I would even go so far to say, maybe the last 14 or 15 years, because we had a real struggle in, in uh, learning and, and understanding even a couple of years before he passed away with some of the difficulties that he was dealing with. But I found myself one time, out, we, we lived on, on a uh, small farm and I was out irrigating on our ditch late, late one evening. And, and uh, I was just contemplating all of that was going on in our son Reed's life. And I was contemplating my own life. And it was, it was like I was saying, God, give me, give me peace. I just need that peace. And I found myself sitting on the ditch bank. And, and I began to cry. And, and that was really something that I had never done before. And I just sat there, didn't think anybody was was watching or looking. And I think Annette saw me from the kitchen and she came out and she sat next to me and uh, we, we just started talking and she asked me what I was feeling. And it was so hard for me to be able to tell her what I was feeling because I'd never verbally expressed that before. 
And it was difficult, but it was also liberating at the same time. And I've learned so much from that experience and from that time, the importance of vulnerability, not sharing every little aspect of our lives that uh, are very personal or, 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 or feeling that uh, we, we don't have in control, but putting ourselves in a position where others can look at us and say, I understand. Let me help you. For me, friends, what happened there when he opened up and became vulnerable I honestly realized I wasn't alone in this. I I realized he wasn't in denial because he tried to fix everything. And that's what a good husband does. They want to provide. They want to take care of things. They want to fix the problems. And this was something we couldn't fix. And so when he actually broke down and opened up, we actually became closer. And in our marriage, in our ability to communicate and and to share the burden that we were both feeling. And so it was liberating, not only for you, but for me as well. One of the other things that we can put right into this here is that we grieve differently. There is not a carbon cookie cutter way to grieve. And I thought my way was right. And because Mark wasn't grieving the way I was grieving, then there was something wrong there and that he must be in denial. When in reality, we both were grieving exactly how we each needed to grieve, to heal. Well, we're going to have a number of episodes on grieving because you're absolutely right. And if I could say anything on that is that, is that uh, I had no idea. I thought grieving was cookie cutter. I thought that uh, you grieve for a month, boom, you're better, and life is back to where it was before. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what life tries to teach us, is that we just need to suck it up and that uh, uh, we we need to go on with life. And, you know, to a degree, that's true. But there's also the self-healing that needs to take place. And sometimes that takes time energy and and an awful lot of effort. Well, if we go back to that quote from Elaine Marshall, it talks about the time. It talks about being present. It talks about the pain of healing and how it is dirty and messy and it's not clean. You know, that those wounds, they fester. And and we we need to do certain things to take care of the wound. It's also important that we recognize who we are. Exactly. And as we as we recognize who we are, uh, Annette and I are very strong in our Christian beliefs. And uh, we, we recognize, and sometimes we recognize through an awful lot of uh, pain and suffering, that we truly are children of a loving Heavenly Father. That has been a key to, to my healing, is to trust and to let God prevail in my life and to trust that he knows best. When we talk about God prevailing, I think of the lessons that we've learned, which are numerous, and they continue to be learned every single day. During this time of tragedy in our life, both tragedy with, with Reed as well as tragedy in trying to develop who we needed to be, to be able to be better parents, to be better uh, spouses to one another. We we learned a lot about ourselves. We learned a lot about each other. And uh, 
one one quote in particular that I absolutely love that was hanging hanging on our refrigerator for a number of years was by a man by the name of Orson F. Whitney, who lived at uh, the uh, the beginning of the 1900s and gave a talk in a uh, church conference, and he said something that has just hit me probably more so than maybe it would have if I would have not had this experience. He said that no pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. And all that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure it patiently, builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable. And it's through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation, that we gain the education that we came here to acquire. It's a beautiful statement that taught us a lot and gave us some hope to trust in in that education and, and who we were becoming. And it was more than just one dimensional. It was more than just a test of our faith or a test of our, our thinking. It was also a test of emotions. It was a test of our cognitive behaviors. It was a test of, of uh, our physical and spiritual. And, and everything that we did, we found that uh, there were commonalities that helped us to heal in every aspect of our life. That's beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about tools. If you could give one specific thing that helped you in your healing to share with our friends that might help them on their journey of discovery and and healing as well. Maybe I'll start with this because I've been thinking about it. Okay. One of the things that was suggested to me in my healing journey was that I should spend time in meditation. And at first I I just fought it and I just thought I can't do this. My mind can't be still. Because when I would sit and try to be quiet and still, my mind would just go everywhere. And I'd see different experiences and and feel the pain and different different things. And it wasn't doing what I had hoped it would do. Little by little, as I continued to practice and try to be still, this became one of the greatest gifts and tools that I use in my healing journey. In the New Testament, there is a scripture, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and be still be. Be still, be still and be still and know. Be still and know that. Be still and know that I. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I am God. That became my meditation. That's a great meditation. It's it's something that uh, I've I've done it with you at times as well, and uh, the peace that comes by by just sharing and reflecting on those words are powerful. Powerful. I couldn't meditate. I couldn't be still. 
that when I was taught this simple meditation, the power and the healing that came to me was undeniable. M. Russell Ballard taught, everyone needs time to meditate and contemplate. Even the Savior of the world during his mortal ministry found time to do so. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. He continued, we are often so busy and the world is so loud that it is difficult to hear the heavenly words, be still and know that I am God. Elijah discovered the Lord's voice wasn't in the roaring wind, the ground-shaking earthquake, or the blazing fire. Instead, it came as a gentle and quiet whisper. Now, much like Elijah, in our pursuit to hear that divine voice and seek healing, we may keep bustling with good deeds or checking off our to-do lists and offering helping hands, but sometimes we forget the importance of simply being still. Mm, love that. That, that's great. You know, Annette, you shared one of your vulnerabilities and one of the things that you've learned and and probably the thing as you ask that question for me is uh, is is recognizing that I can't control everything. Recognizing that uh, as much as I try, things are just going to happen and things aren't going to happen the way that I want them to all the time. And when they don't, I found that it's all about attitude. And one of the things that's really helped me, you share that quote uh, with uh, with uh, uh, M. Russell Ballard. Uh, there, there's another Christian uh, author that uh, that I've, I've I, I love this quote that he shared. Charles Swindoll, uh, known very well in the in the South, uh, he said, "The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than fact. It's more important than the past." than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important in appearance, giftedness, or skill. It'll make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing he said about, about uh, attitude is that uh, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we will embrace for that day. We can't change the past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play on the one string we have. And he said, that is attitude. And he said, I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And I think that's the same with, with me as well, is that we can, we can sit down and we can have very sad, unfortunate things happen to us. But like Daniel in the lion's den in the Old Testament, God didn't save Daniel from the lion's den. He saved him in the lion's den. And, I, and I've always loved that uh, story because we have the ability to be saved in our own circumstances as well. A lot of it has to do with tools. A lot of it has to do with attitude. A lot of it has to do with our ability to work and to find what we need in order to, again, be happy and enjoy the peacefulness that we always are looking for. Thank you. I appreciate you for sharing that. You know, friends, one of the things that we would like to do is to encourage you to, to sit down and reflect. Reflect about challenges in your life. Reflect about the experiences that you've had and, and 
hopefully that will help you find the meaning in those experiences. A couple of thoughts that you could reflect upon. How has your faith helped you to overcome adversity? When things look dark, what thoughts do you turn to for hope and inspiration? How have the darkest moments of your life shaped who you are today? These are some prompts or questions that we'll be posting on our our Instagram, Finding Meaning Podcast, to help you to reflect and maybe even share. We would appreciate it if you shared your thoughts there so that we can help one another in this journey. We've shared a lot in in this brief time and we've kind of been all over the place and we we kind of meant to do that a little bit because we wanted to uh paint a very broad stroke of what uh this is going to this experience is going to be for you as well as for us as we go through this journey together as we recognize that uh, again it's not going to be something that we are going to easily get through we all deal with uh grief loss frustrations in life, many, many different ways. And and for every way, there's a different person. And for every person, there's a different opportunity. And uh, our goal in this podcast is to provide how you can find meaningfulness in your life. It's more than just, just trying to find the peace. It's trying to find meaning as well. One of the things that we talk about all the time is having backdoor conversations. And uh, a backdoor conversation, you're going to hear that term quite a bit, where we will have a backdoor conversation, not something formal. We're going to be a little bit vulnerable with us, and we hope that you'll be a little bit vulnerable with us, as well as probably more importantly to yourself, to be able to have the ability to understand that it's okay to grieve, that it's okay to be unhappy at times. But just like the thermometer, we want to help you so that you can change the thermostat and not just be at the constant degree that you are, but to recognize that you do have the power to change and to grow. But it's going to be a journey that uh, is going to be unique specifically to you. It is specific and unique. And just as a reminder, it's through the struggle that we discover meaning. And don't be so quick to get through it. I know that sounds there's no timeline intuitive to it. There's no timeline. But as you go through these experiences of life and as you reflect back upon those experiences, that's when the discovery the of the new of the meaning and how you can apply that to to your life. I love the who you are. Absolutely. I love the power of stories. But a story is nothing unless there's meaning to it. So friends, please don't forget to subscribe and share Finding Meaning podcast with your friends and on social media. Become a part of the community by by contributing your thoughts and ideas to the questions and and reflections there on Instagram and and Facebook and other social media accounts. 
We really appreciate your time and you being with us, and we hope that you have a fantastic day. Take care.